from the time that they pronounced me dead was a good 45 minutes. They cut my clothes and then they paddled my heart because my heart had stopped. And I could see people screaming and crying, but I didn't realize that was actually my physical body because I was somewhere else. The only thing that I could feel, if you could imagine absolute love and peace, there wasn't anything else to be felt. I was greeted by people I had known in the past. I'm back home again. Incredibly safe and felt at home. Welcome to a bonus episode of Round Trip Death, everybody. We have a great guest, Mary Jo Wheeler, coming up here in just a second. But I kind of wanted to preface it with the fact that some NDEs that we talk about are really grandiose and long and seem to be, you know, would fill a whole book. And others are short and very sweet and just as important as the ones that are long and, and I don't know, would turn into a great film or something. So this one is a little bit shorter, but it is um, wonderful. And it was a super special experience for Mary Jo. So Mary Jo, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to share my story. You're welcome. It is so good to have you. And before we jump into your story, tell me, have you talked about this much with very many people? So the first person I finally told was my mom. This was back in 2000 and I would say 15. She was the first person I told. And she actually was, her response was yes. And I knew she was irritated with it because after it had happened, she had found my wet clothes on the floor. And we'll get into that whole thing of how that happened. Yeah. But I was just curious, have you told a lot of people or have there been reasons you kept it a little more to yourself? I had a hard time processing it for a long time and it took a while before I started getting into the spiritual side and my family was raised Catholic and my fiance's family are Christian. And so I decided to go with them and to start this church that we moved to this new town in and um, was getting to know everyone. It took about two years of getting to know everyone. And they had this private class in the church so people can talk about things that happened to them so that they can have a way of relieving some kind of pressure. Some people had different problems like addiction or something going on in their lives. And my topic was to talk about, you know, I understood God and that I believed in God and I had personal reasons to believe that. And they had asked me why. And I said, well, because it personally happened to me. And I told them that I almost died and that I was saved by a voice that helped me and, and helped me survive. And I was looked like I was a crazy person. Like I was lying. It makes me want to get emotional because that should be the place that you should be able to go when you're in trouble or you need to relieve. Sorry, I cannot believe I'm doing the crying, but um, it took a lot of toll on me for a little bit. And um, it wasn't until I started getting into YouTube, which is funny, that I started finding about other things and ions and different groups and then finding different support people that I was able to start talking about it. And that relief of being able to talk about it without any judgment was absolutely freeing. And doing this today is is immense. Maybe that's why I'm even crying a little bit because I'm spreading a message of truth and love. And if anybody's having a bad day, just know that we're here for a reason. I don't know what all those entails are as the long stories are, but 
you know, I got to find out firsthand. I just didn't know how to process it as a kid. And so I rebelled a little bit when things were going bad. So, you know, there's a lot to process. All right. Let's go back to when you were, you were only five years old when this happened to you. Mm-hmm. Would you tell us where you were living, what kind of conditions you were living in? And then we'll get into exactly what happened. Okay. Well, my mom was a single mom and she had me and my little brother living in a low income housing in National City, California. We lived up the street from an old bowling alley called Plaza Bowl. It doesn't exist anymore. It's now a shopping center, but the apartment complex still does exist. Back in the day in the 70s, there was no fences around pools. A lot of times I remember apartment signs saying adult only complex, no children allowed <laughs> back in the 70s in National City. So it was no surprise that, you know, this was going to happen about safety, about people and kids trying to go to a pool that doesn't have a fence and nobody's watching that something could happen. And that's basically what happened to me. And were you a good swimmer? Um, No, not really. My mother never learned how to swim. She was afraid of the water. Um, and even till the day she passed in 79, she n- never liked the water. She was a panicker. And so if we went to the pool, it was to sit at the stairs. And I really wanted to swim and Naturally, I was a fish growing up. I just wanted to swim all the time. So I had this really strong attraction to the pool. But you didn't know how to swim, did you? You hadn't had lessons? No. (laughs) No lessons. No lessons at all. Just the poolside sitting on the stairs and playing right there by the little handle. That was about it as far as it went. Oh, that's so tempting for a child, five years old, just wanting to get in that water. Oh, yeah. But your mom kept you safe and kept you out of it until one night. Well, it happened early in the morning. My mom and my little brother were asleep because obviously it was still like maybe about two-ish or so. I had gotten up early in the morning and I had this extreme, I don't know what I was dreaming about or what the case was, but I had this extreme desire to get to that pool. And so I had was downstairs by myself in my apartment and I just went walk, climbed up the stair or not the stairs, the couch. And I undid the, the lock, the chain lock off the top of the door on the top, right. And I snuck outside when I stuck outside, I just ran across our parking lot and then across the way into the grass. And then there's the pool across the way. And I just got into the stairs, sat onto the stairs, grabbed the wall. And I was just shimmying across the way, just around the whole thing, because I wanted to see the deep end. <laughs> and this is just crazy, but I wanted to see the deep end. I wanted to feel that. And so when I got there and looking down and, you know, I'm putting my feet up against the wall and pushing back and looking around, I let go. And I just went down to the bottom and kids sink. We don't because we have a lot of fat. So we're always going to, we're never really going to be able to sink to the bottom like kids do. And that's exactly what happened. I was literally standing at the bottom of the pool and I'm looking up. You could see like the smoothness of the, the wall. I can see how it's curving up and I'm looking up around up above me and I'm seeing, you know, sparkly, but that could have been because of the light and the sun, you know, because it's early morning, but I see, you know, things shining through and then all of a sudden I'm not able to breathe anymore and I'm starting to get ready to panic. And then all of a sudden I felt this 
staticky. I wasn't sure if it was because I was standing at the deep end, but I felt this static, staticky noises in my head. And then all of a sudden this voice took over my entire head talking to me underwater. And I feel something behind me on my left. It feels really huge. I'm almost kind of scared of it because I felt like it was something and I, I didn't know what to think. But I remember feeling like it had bent down over me to to kind of comfort me. And he had his right hand on my shoulder and he was leaning over to me to comfort. And the voice says to me, "Okay, Mary Jo, this is what I need you to do for me. Can you jump for me? And without hesitation, I just agreed with it and I started jumping. And when I was with this being, I felt no more pain. I wasn't dying for air. I wasn't cold because the water was freezing. I don't know anything about time or what had happened in that moment, in that time and place, but I was with this being and I was jumping and doing what it told me. And I could feel this swishing happening as I'm jumping. I would feel this swishing and the voice was male, but yet it transcended with a female voice as well. I don't know if it was to make me calm or if this is the way it spoke. I think there's a couple of stories that we'll talk about later that kind of resonated with me, but I kept telling me to jump and I would do what it said. And for some reason, I knew that it was telling me I'm going over, I'm taking you across the shallow end. I, I kind of automatically processed that's where I was going. And as I was jumping with it, the sooner, the closer we got to the shallow side, my head would pop out of water. And right before I had, um, my head popped. That's when the urge was coming that I needed to breathe. Like that's when all the pain was coming through so that I would jump. And then my head hit the air for just a second. I got a quick breath before I went back under and I kept jumping. And that's basically by the time I got to the stairs, I was jumping and getting air, jumping and getting air, you know, underwater until I got to the stairs. And by the time I got to the stairs, the voice was very stern, like a father and just said to me, now, Mary Jo, don't ever do this again. Now you go home. And that was it. I ran. I ran. I didn't look back. Maybe I could have saw something. I I didn't want to. It just a little girl. But I think this, the voice did scare me because I was in trouble because they knew I had snuck out of the house. And I my mother didn't know how to swim. My mother was asleep with my brother. So if she would have found me passed away, she would have probably drowned herself trying to go and get me. So there's like all of this knowledge that's coming in through the years that I was trying to process. So that's basically it. That's my whole story. But, you know, the knowing of those things at that young age was like a, a lesson learned, basically. Okay. I feel like I need to take a breath. I've been holding my breath. Um yeah kind of been holding my breath through this oh wow parents worst nightmare um how do you remember feeling fear and you were scared or I was scared because the voice felt like powerful like uh you know I don't know how to explain it but I just remember when I heard this head, the whole voice like taking over my head like I just interrupted the day something going on and and he's you know the voice was so stern it scared me a little bit. I, I didn't know if it was the scare because it felt like a, a all powerful or if it felt, but I was scared of it for a second. And I think maybe the female voice intertwining was to keep me calm. 
And so I, that's all I really can say. I just, uh, that makes sense. And maybe it needed to be firm enough that you didn't try that again. Didn't think that was fun. Oh yeah. I was in trouble with the father for sure. I, you know, I, I really felt that because it's just, as a little girl, you're feeling all of these overwhelming feelings that I, you know, I'm learning a lesson at a young age of knowing, you know, all of the things that could have happened. Did you say that you felt something on your shoulder? You said you felt like someone was on the right hand side. Right. So if I was facing my back and the person behind me on my left, it was like they were comforting me, you know, comforting me, you know, touching my shoulder, confident, you know, telling me, okay, Mary Jo, this is what we're going to do. You know, like, just basically taking over is what I felt. But you still had to do your part and do the jumping that you were told to do. I had to do the free will of jumping. I think it I think it had a lot to do with that. I mean, it wasn't like I was trying to like commit suicide or I literally was just trying to learn something. I really wanted to go swimming. I, that's all I really wanted to do. <laughs> and, you know, and then the innocence of that and then the fact that I could have just killed myself, you know, by going in the water without your parent or somebody there. I mean, I literally was in that pool all by myself early in the morning. So it's just uh, very lucky, very blessed, very lucky. It's a terrifying thought. It was hard to process. I remember even thinking about aliens for a while, just <laughs> not knowing how to process this. Or when my mother confronted me when I was a little girl about the 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 wet clothes. I could imagine, you know, that I was scared to even tell her what happened. I mean, I knew I was in trouble. I already knew it, but. Yeah. Did you make something up? Mm, she dropped it. She just kind of got disgusted at me because she knew I had went to the pool. I think my mom was just going through such a hard time that, you know, everything's okay. I'm just, I'm going to move on with what I was doing kind of thing. But it wasn't until I got older and you know, here I am as a grown woman, a grandmother myself, and having this heart-to-heart talk with my mom, just finally coming clean about it. Yeah, tell us more about that. When, when did you have this heart-to-heart with your mom? My mom had been sick for a while, and I know she was really stressing on a lot of things before she had passed away. She just passed away April 23rd, 2023. So we've been kind of, you know, getting ready for things. And I just wanted to comfort my mom, but I also wanted to come clean, I guess, to tell her what had happened back then. And I just wanted to know if she remembered about the wet clothes. And for my mom to be so disgusted, she goes, yes, I remember. (laughs) You know, just like trying to tell her, well, something happened and I need to tell you what happened. And that embracement, that love that my mom gave me to say that she believed me (laughs) Just saying that you give me comfort. And I said, yes, God's real. And she goes, I know he is. And I said, he's very real. And there's a life after death. And that meant a lot that I got to tell her that because she died about two years later. So she had a really bad stroke and she was getting dementia. She was starting to lose her mobility of talking and stuff. So I, everything happens for a reason. It really does. And, and, uh, just having that moment with her. And then I ended up going to visit her one last time. And I had her with me for three nights and we slept in the same bed and I just comforted my mom. And then I got the call later on after that, that she had passed away. So it was uh, important. It was very important to tell her that if anything, 
I tried the church because I thought, okay, you know, I'm ready for, I'm ready for this. I'm ready to give my life to whatever it takes. Cause I don't know. I hear stories, you know, it's not like that. These are man-made religions, but I just really felt in my heart of hearts, like I'm ready to give my life to God and any works that I do is in his name always. And that's just how I've been ever since that happened. But the church thing kind of popped my bubble. <laughs> on that, that aspect where it kind of shut me down for a second. I'm trying to get my voice back. Tell me more about that. Were you talking to just another member of the congregation or to some kind of a minister pastor? Um, This is such an odd situation. So <clears throat> the lady that runs the church, she's also a realtor and she's this and she's that. <laughs> and so it was really kind of awkward as it was kind of trying to feel comfortable to talk to them. And I waited a couple of years to, before I really came out. So um, I did three years, three and a half years of Bible study with them. But I came out about on the third year I had came out to talk about it. Cause I thought, you know, we've had fellowship. We've been doing things together and, you know, going through this journey together. So I was putting my heart of heart out there when I went to this um, class where we're all talking, you know, and bringing out things so that way we can mend and move on. And so mine was very genuine. (laughs) I have never, I think what helped hurt me the most was they were looking at me like I'm some fool. And I was just, I think that was like a dagger. I felt so betrayed and like they're looking at me like, yeah, right, lady. Now you're just doing this. Are you just making this up? And I just thought, wow. I said, you know what? I And I remember looking at them going, I swear on the souls of my very grandchildren that what I'm telling you is not a lie. I remember even saying that because I felt so defensive. Like you're looking at me like I'm I'm a liar. And I just, I was just blown away. And and so I just been, I stayed quiet talking to them for a little bit. And I can tell the attitudes were changing the, you know, the demeanor a lot of gossiping starting to happen and kind of being shunned away from the side a little bit. And there was this one lady that came into a Bible study after that. And she says, my husband had a heart attack and he said he had a near death experience (laughs) named Susie. And I wanted to say, Hey, I believe him. (laughs) And I got nudged like shush. Like, you cannot talk about this in church. It's inappropriate. <laughs> Thinking, wow. <laughs> so then I just lost all interest after that. I literally was so disgusted. And, you know, it just kind of felt like the people you were trying to make friends. I didn't even care if we were friends anymore. I just, I didn't care if I ever saw them again. It was just like, they, they took something so genuine from me that I just really I just don't even want to talk to them. If I see them at a store, I go the other way. I, <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it changed something in me, and I'm still trying to process that as well. So, hey, I don't want to tell any ministers, pastors how to do their job, but mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> I'm going to throw in a but here. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with listening. Just listen. Mm-hmm. And if someone really believes something happened to them, even if it doesn't jive with your faith exactly, it's okay to acknowledge it and to listen to them and let them know that you love them. And And it's okay to tell them, hey, I don't understand this. Yeah. Right? Versus telling them that it's wrong and that what happened to them didn't happen. 
it, it really takes away from someone. And I, I really think that it's really important to listen to people. You know, we hear a lot of stories all the time. And I, I took my time. I let I, I dove into Ian's website. I literally dove into there and read so many testimonies and, you know, looking up people um, on YouTube and getting to see and trying to be friends with these people on Facebook because I feel like I don't feel like I'm like I don't belong here. It just feels like I'm not. I'm different from everybody else. But when I found these new people in my life that have had near-death experiences, that sense of belonging, that's a very unique feeling. And just to have that little community of people that even if you don't talk on a daily basis, just that little connection means so much. It really does make a difference. So I think what you're doing is really important and it's a message. And I'm willing to take this on regardless of what people think or the comments that might come into play about what I'm saying. It's coming from a genuine heart place. And I just really want people to know in these days that we are in that just take comfort in knowing that there is life after death and that we do move on and that there's more to what we know and that they should really probably try to look into themselves and maybe try to make some changes. <laughs> well, and I don't think that's in conflict with any religion that I know of. No, no. The fact that there is life after death, mm -hmm. there is a God. Okay. Yeah. It puts it all into perspective. You, you really want to start doing good. So, you know, I changed what I used to do for a living and now I take care of seniors in a senior park. And I, you know, and I, I just had a big barbecue last just over the weekend you know, feeding 74 people. So it just kind of changes your life. And and all I want to do is just continue on this path until my end of days. And I'm fine with that. I'm just trying to find my way through this. I, I won't, I'm trying to look into meditation right now because I feel like I need to find a special place to do that. So that's the next thing I'm going to start trying to practice myself is some meditations and stuff. On this same line of the advice that I just didn't give <laughs> to religious to religious <laughs> leaders, yeah, how about for those people and especially for parents, if something like this happens to your child or a small or a child that you know that has been through something like this and is willing to open up and tell you how should they deal with it? What should they say to this child? What would have been good for you way back when you were five? If my mom would not have brushed off the fact that there was wet clothes and the fact that it was early in the morning and the fact that I went outside of the house, unlocked the door and went outside, I really think she should have dove in there more and asked me some questions because I know I would have told her. I would have said, well, I got saved by the voice. I, you know, I would have told her what had happened. I would have been completely honest with my mom and just having, even if it was, you know, uh, 48 years later, <laughs> I'm telling my mom this story. She asked questions and she asked me, well, were, you know, did you even, you know, she's asking me questions like, well, were, were you doing, were you in a lot of pain? What was happening? And I said, well, at first, yes, I was in a lot of pain because I was needing to desperately breathe air. And I said, and um, I was feeling like I was saying I was giving up kind of thing. Like, okay. I'm, and I mean, it, being a little girl and realizing you're, gonna die that was kind of a different story too so I think just having comfort and love to your child 
let them talk about it. I don't necessarily think to ever recommend taking them to a priest or anyone to talk about that, but just the love and comfort of a family member to talk to and maybe find them resources for near-death experiences. Because IONS, um, they do have a place about ch uh, children's death. And so that's where I place my story, to read other children's um, experiences of death and near-death experiences. And so I think I would recommend people look into those sources for sure. Well, Mary Jo, I appreciate you being on with us today. I know it's still not easy to talk about. Um, I hope you found this a, a place that is safe and trusting and that you can talk and that it helps to talk about it. It really does, Eric. And you're the first person that I've done this um, story to tell you my story. And I, I I cannot tell you how thankful I am to have met you, Eric, and I am grateful that you are taking the time to listen to me because it, it means the world to me. And I know that God will shine on you too for taking the time to do this for people. It means a lot. It really does. Oh, you are so sweet. Anything last thing that you'd like to say to everybody? Just keep doing good. Keep doing good to others. Try to show love. That's what God's all about is love. And, you know, if we could just take the time to stop being so angry and letting politics and everything else get in the way, we need to mend. We need to love each other. And we need to find a way to respect each other. That's what I would say. Thanks again for listening and sharing this podcast. If you've had a round-trip death experience, we would love to hear from you. Send an email to eric at roundtripdeath.com. Until then, I wish you everything good that you're looking for in this life and the next.